Okay. Second Peter chapter 2 is where we'll be today. No one ever expected it would happen, especially with this model congregation that I've heard about. Let me tell you about them, because they're, they're amazing in, in so many ways. I mean, they provided a heated swimming pool for underprivileged kids. Oh, you're going to love this one, you farmers. Uh, they provided horses for inner-city children to ride. They gave scholarships for deserving students. They provided housing for senior citizens. Model congregation. They even had an animal shelter, a medical facility, a drug rehab program. The media wrote that the pastor was an inspiration to us all. That was a direct quote from the media. He knew how to inspire hope. He committed to helping people in need. He preached about God. He preached from the Bible. He even claimed to cast out demons, to do miracles, and even to heal people. And that is high praise for a pastor and his church. Now, I know you probably don't know which church I'm referring to. I'll tell you in a moment. And it's interesting where that congregation is today. I hate to think about it. What is it doing now, even here in 2017? Well, you may have figured it out. The church is dead. And I mean that literally, dead. Death occurred the day the pastor called the members to gather together. By the way, they had moved from the United States to uh, Guiana, South America. They had built a community called Jonestown. The pastor called them together on a particular day, and they heard his hypnotic voice, or, or hypnotic voice over the speaker. And so all these people, hundreds of people, came from all four corners of the farm. He sat in his large chair and he spoke into a handheld microphone about the beauty of death and the certainty that they would all meet again. The people were surrounded by armed guards and they had a vat of colored water, which we Americans call Kool-Aid. In that Kool-Aid was cyanide poison. It was cyanide poison. Most of the members drank the poison with no resistance. They were ready for death. But those who did resist were forced to drink. At first they gave it to about 80 babies and children. They were given that fatal drink. Then the adults, and then finally the the pastor committed suicide. Everything was calm for a few minutes, and then convulsions began. Screams filled the air. Mass confusion broke out. In a few minutes, it was all over. The members of the People's Temple Christian Church were all dead. (laughs) Uh, According to the numbers I've read, all 780. Now, there's different numbers on this. It was, it was just a, it was mass murder. Their leader was dead. His name was Jim Jones. Jim Jones. Now, these were people who were United States citizens. They got fed up with the government and the system there. Uh, they, they felt like they were being harassed and persecuted, so they wanted to move to someplace else. So they went to South America, Guyana, South America. And they committed mass murder. Many of them appeared to have done it willingly, thinking that they were all going to meet again one day. 
So my friends, as, I, as I've read about this story, you can read about it on the internet if you wish, we need to make a mental note. We need to be on our guard. Because there are a lot of religious fakes and frauds that inhabit Christ church today. They've always been around. And so it's important that we don't be fooled by the way they look. Don't be fooled by their words. They are counterfeits and they are poisonous. And that was as true back in 1978 as in, in Jonestown as it is in the first century church as Peter writes this book here in Second Peter. And by the way, this problem was so important to Peter and to God that he devoted an entire chapter to write about these false teachers. He wants us to know about their methods and their teachings Within three decades after Christ's resurrection, the church was being rocked by false teachers. And so Peter is, is writing here, it's very helpful, and he's, he's trying to disarm these false teachers and at the same time alert his Christian friends to the, the treacherous presence of false teachers. So with that little introduction in mind, look at 2 Peter chapter 2. It may I remind you, we finished chapter one. Peter is wanting us to know some things. He's wanted, he wants us to know God's word. That's the truth. But with truth, there is also error we need to watch out for. There are enemies we need to be aware of. And so Peter warns us about the enemy here in chapter two. Look what he says in second Peter two, verse one. He says, but, and that's carrying on from the truth of chapter one. But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter wants you to know some things. God wants you to know some things for that fact. So here's the proposition for you to consider. I propose that God wants you to discern the methods and the teachings of the false teachers. And the reason for that is so that you wouldn't fall prey to them. God doesn't want you to fall prey to the false teachers and their teachings and their methods. So, how do you spot a false teacher? Well, they're not usually wearing a shirt saying, I'm a false teacher, right? It's usually not that obvious. They don't have a big neon sign above their head saying, you know, pointing at them, false teacher, right? It's not that obvious. So, how do you spot a false teacher? Well, God tells us what are false teachers like. Number one, this might be surprising to some people, but they actually come from within the church. They come from within the church. Now, that doesn't mean there's no danger outside the church, but Peter's saying they come from within the church. Just as they arose from among the people of Israel, Peter's saying false teachers will arise from among us. Now, let me be clear what I'm not talking about and what Peter's not talking about. Peter is not talking about the Christian in your church whom you have a minor disagreement with. 
This is not the Christian in your church whom you just don't see eye to eye on non-essentials. You know, you have different standards or you know different views on music or or books or whatever it is, right? That that is not what Peter's talking about here. Peter's talking about teachers who don't hold to at least some, if not all, of the essentials. We're talking about the fundamentals of the faith, where these these false teachers disagree with. And by the way, I am not just talking about males either. There are females who are also false teachers. Although, you probably often hear me use the the pronoun he. Uh, Just bear in mind, there are plenty of female false teachers as well. So we're talking about somebody who doesn't hold to the fundamentals of the faith. Okay, we're talking about the essentials. You know, the the various things that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. Uh, The inspiration of the scriptures, the special creation in six days. Okay, that that you are fallen. Humanity is fallen. You are depraved in your nature. You, You need God's grace to transform you and to save you. All right, so, so the, these sort of things are some of the fundamentals of the faith. But false teachers here in this text are compared to the false prophets of Israel. And there were many of them. And it, it, so we see false prophets arose among the people of Israel. Well, the prophets of God told about them places like, let me give you some scriptures here. For example, Jeremiah a true prophet of God, chapter 5, verse 30, he said, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. Well, it continued on into Jesus' day, and Jesus warned about these false prophets and false teachers who were a serious problem even in his own day. The greatest condemnation that Jesus had was against the religious leaders of Israel, like Pharisees and Sadducees. He said in Matthew 7, verse 15, this is Jesus speaking, he said, beware of false prophets. There's one, you see him? I know, it looks funny, hard to spot him, except for the nose, right? That that wolf in sheep's clothing. So beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Very dangerous. They, uh, the sheep have a hard time spotting the wolf there, don't they? Quite happy to, hey, my little friend here, you know, I know his, his nose looks different from mine, but he's, he's my friend. I love him. Right? The other problem is the shepherds have a hard time spotting him. Peter knew the Old Testament history. He, he, he probably has read Jeremiah chapter 5. He certainly knew Jesus' teaching. He was with Jesus when Jesus spoke those words. And so both Old and New Testament, both prophets like Jeremiah and Jesus taught that the false teachers would arise from within. Just as they arose from within Israel, they arise from within the church. And so be warned, my friends, false teachers will arise from within the church. You need to know what they look like. You need to know how to spot them. They're hard to see. So Peter goes on and he says, how do you spot a false teacher? Well, well, they conceal their false teaching. That's one of the reasons why they're, they're hard to spot. They're hard to spot. Notice they conceal their teaching here in verse 1, that 
that uh, the false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So false teachers are dishonest about their operations. They're not up front with what their real purpose is. After all, the church would never embrace these false teachers if their schemes were unmasked. You know, take the mask off for what they really are. You know, rip the the wool off the wolf. Church wouldn't accept them. So they secretly and deceptively enter the church. By the way, they pose as pastors. They pose as teachers. They're authors. They're evangelists. They're paid by the church, usually. By the way, Jude says something very similar. He describes them in in verse 4 as certain people who have crept in unnoticed. Kind of like a friend of mine one day. I was walking around my house, and and I jumped as one of my friends was sitting on my couch. He never told me he was coming. He's sitting in my house on the couch. Oh, oh, it's you. He had crept in unnoticed. You know, I laugh at it now, but at the time it, it scares you when you're not expecting someone to be there in the privacy of your home. It's kind of scary when you have people who claim to be pastors and teachers and authors and evangelists who pop up and you've maybe even known them for years. And all of a sudden you're like, why are they saying that? Why are they writing that? When Jude says they've crept in on notice, it's, it's a word that, a verb, it means to slip in without being seen. It means to sneak in under false pretenses. The false teachers are kind of like rat poisoning. Put a picture of a box of rat poisoning here for you. If you buy a, a box of rat poisoning, did you know most of that stuff is actually good? Uh, they call it, what, inert ingredients. It's mostly corn. Mostly corn. In fact, 98% of rat poisoning is actually pretty good stuff. I'm not suggesting you eat it, but 98%, it says, is good. It's the 2% that kills the rat. It's that 2% that deceives the rat into eating it and killing it. A lesson needs to be learned from rat poisoning. By the way, if you look at the ingredients on, on mice... Poisoning, it's even less. It's like 0.005 or something on one one of the ingredients I saw. It's even less for a mouse. And why do they do that? Well, that's how you deceive a rat. If it was 98% poisoning, I I probably doubt the rat would eat it. So you need the 98% good stuff to deceive the rat. And it's that way with false teachers. How do false teachers deceive people? Well, I've noticed one of the ways they deceive people is they'll, they'll use a lot of good language. Just like the rat poisoning is mostly good stuff. Well, they use uh, the, the Bible's language, but they just change the meaning. Beware. Just because they talk like you do doesn't mean they're, you're actually communicating. I'll just give you some examples. False teachers, although, you know, some of them may talk about sin, they may talk about salvation, inspiration of scripture, they talk about God, they'll talk about Jesus Christ, maybe. 
but they don't actually mean what the Bible means. For example, when they talk about sin, some of these false teachers, they they may be talking about the, the failure to actualize your human potential. Well, that's not the Bible's definition. Because in 1 John, God says that, that sin is lawlessness. <laughs> that's the Bible's definition. Sin is lawlessness. You're breaking God's law. It has nothing to do with actualizing your human potential. False teachers might say that salvation means uh, self-actualization or a, a psychological well-being. No, it's, it's far more than that, isn't it? In fact, it has nothing to do with that. And when they talk about inspiration, inspiration, they, they often, these false teachers, talk about it the same way they would talk about some great piece of poetry or some, some piece of literature. You know, that poetry was inspired. No, not the same thing. When they talk about gods, often they, they, they think of him as some personal higher power. He's a project of our need for a belief in a transcendent reality beyond ourselves. That's not how, just not how God describes himself in the Bible. Oh, and Jesus, by the way, he's a great moral teacher. And this great moral teacher has a high degree of God consciousness. He's, he's a cosmic symbol for the highest in human potential. He's your great example. So, my friends, don't be fooled by their camouflaged poison. The poison is camouflaged. So they may talk like you talk, but they don't mean the same thing you mean. Beware. Peter goes on to describe these false teachers. What are they like? He says, number three, they're destructive heretics. (laughs) Destructive heretics. I'll explain what a heretic is in a moment because the Roman Catholic Church, you know, burned Christians at the stake for believing different from them. They called them heretics. But the, these, these destructive heretics pose as true shepherds of the flock of God. False teachers introduce destructive heresies. And by the way, the word destructive means utter ruin. It speaks of the eternal condemnation of the wicked. So in this particular context, that, that term Destructive indicates the schemes of these teachers have disastrous consequences. And by the way, the consequences are not just for them, it's for their followers as well. All of Jim Jones' followers died. Destructive consequences. And so the term heresy there means a self-willed opinion contrary to the truth. And it leads to division in the formation of sex. So notice it's a self-willed opinion contrary to the truth. It's not different from your opinion. It's contrary to the truth. So what is the point, my friends? Well, the false teachers have exchanged God's truth for their own opinions. And of course that's going to be destructive. Why is it destructive? Why? Well, they convince gullible people to believe their lies. They convince gullible people to believe their lies, and it's destructive. Well, from the church's earliest days, even in Peter's day here, in Jesus' day, the church has been afflicted by the heretic. Sadly, the the heretic continues to do his work even today. 
they, they do that by contradicting the truth. Sometimes they add to the truth. Uh, for example, they might change the doctrine of the Trinity, just as one of the old heretics back in the 3rd century by the name of Arius. An old heretic by the name of Arius. He contradicted the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. And by the way, the oneness Pentecostals do the same thing today. If you read T.D. Jake's books, he's a oneness Pentecostal who denies the Trinity. Uh, it might it might be like Pelagius, another heretic from way back in church history, who didn't understand the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of man, didn't understand the doctrine of the fall. He he thinks man's basically good. You know, you're just you're just a little bit sick, and you can heal yourself. You can basically save yourself. You don't need Jesus, then, do you? Heretics might show up like a, you know, a guy like Marcus Borg, who was involved in the Jesus seminar. By the way, they, in the Jesus seminar, they took all of Jesus' sayings in the Bible and narrowed them down. There was, they, they came up with 31. Out of all of Jesus' sayings, there was only 31 that were true. Only 31 they actually believed in. Marcus Borg was on that Jesus seminar board. He denied the virgin birth of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sadly, two years ago he died. I hate to think about where he is today. Then you got Jehovah's Witnesses. They alter God's finished word. You have the the Mormons who add to God's word. So what are they doing? They boldly tamper with the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Dangerous. My question for you is this. Are the false teachers saved Christians? Are they saved Christians? I think the next point really answers that question the best. As Peter goes on to point out how to spot a false teacher, he says, number four, they deny Christ. They deny Christ. You see it in verse one. They secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. You say, well, who's the master? Well, Jude, Jude tells you it's Jesus Christ, by the way. But the, the word denying there is a very strong word. It's a strong term meaning to refuse. It means to be unwilling, to firmly say no. It, there's no sitting on the fence with this guy. Firmly say no to Jesus. Now, how often do they say no to Christ? Well, Peter used, it's interesting, he used the present tense Greek verb. It just shows a habitual pattern on their behalf. They're habitually refusing Christ, habitually saying no to Christ. And this indicates that false teachers characteristically reject God's authority. It's just who they are. Now, how do we know that who they're actually rejecting? Because Peter doesn't tell you it's Jesus. Well, the word master means sovereign, ruler, or lord. And in this context, it, it, master refers to Christ. So the false teachers are denying the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. They refuse to submit their lives to his sovereign rule. Jesus is not lord of their life. They're their own lord. And so therefore, they're revealing their true character as unregenerate enemies of God and his truth. 
They're unregenerate. They're unsaved. So please understand, we're not talking about someone whom you just dis- another Christian whom you may disagree with here. So you've got to be careful whom you actually call a false teacher. Be very careful whom you call a false teacher. So how do you spot a false teacher? Well, number five, they bring destruction on themselves, according to verse 1. That's what it says. They bring upon themselves swift destruction. So if they do not repent, and, and they could, it is possible for them to repent. And if they do, and if they don't, well, they're going to earn destruction. By the way, that destruction there, verse 1, is an everlasting state of torment. It's, it's an eternal separation from God in hell. That's what they get. And they bring it upon themselves. And notice it's swift because it's gonna come, it's gonna come upon them swiftly. It's gonna come upon it quickly when they die. How do you spot a false teacher? Number six. Well, they appear to be successful. So you don't judge a person by how they look because they appear to be successful. Notice verse two says, many will follow. Many will follow. In other words, false teachers have millions of followers. They have massive mega churches. They sell millions of books. <laughs> that shouldn't surprise us. I hope it doesn't surprise you. I hope you're aware that Jesus said that more people follow this wide road to destruction than the narrow road that leads to life. Jesus said that in Matthew 7, verse 13. He said, For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So false teachers, here's the point. They appear to be successful. But what are the followers actually following? It says... It says there in verse 2, many will follow, but what are they following? Well, sadly, many people follow their sensuality. That's what Peter says. They're sensual, these false teachers. By the way, sensuality there just means reckless sensual indulgence, especially in regards to sexual immorality. They think that sexual activity outside of marriage is acceptable. Not, Not all of them, but many of them do. Sometimes they even promote adultery. Sometimes they encourage all forms of immorality. Even homosexuality has been accepted by some of these false teachers. So what have they done? Well, they've, they've borrowed from the culture. They've smuggled the culture into the church. And the impact of this immoral living is they, they actually end up luring other people into their immorality. And in the process, sadly, they bring discredit upon Christ and and discredit to the church and upon true Christianity. And it's probably frustrating to you as it is frustrating to me that you often get the same label as they do, right? Your, your, Your unsaved workmates have done this to me. My unsaved workmates have done this to me so many times. You know, they just, they think I'm just like, you know, that preacher, that tele-evangelist who got thrown in jail or whatever, right? No, I'm not like them. But you get labeled the same way. And it's frustrating. And so you ask, well, how do I spot a false teacher? 
Well, here's some application from Jesus' teaching. Jesus said you need to be a fruit inspector. Be a fruit inspector. That's how you spot a false teacher. In other words, when Jesus says be a fruit inspector, he says you look at their life. Are they trying to lead you into an immoral life? To be sensual like them? Well, that, that's, an, that's a sure sign that they're a false teacher. Because look what Jesus says here in Matthew seven fifteen. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So how do you know the health of the tree? You can't see inside it, can you? You can't see a person's heart, but you can see what's on the outside. Jesus says, look at the outside. Look at the life. What's the fruit like? So what is a false teacher like? Number seven, well, they slander the truth. They slander the truth. Verse 2, 2 Peter 2, says that many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So the way of truth there refers to right doctrine, and as well as the true gospel, the, the true good news of Jesus Christ. So right doctrine and the true gospel are blasphemed. In other words, they're slandered by these people. Because of these false teachers and the, the havoc they wreak, the biblical message has often been criticized by the world. <laughs> Even an unbeliever can look at a televangelist or, or an author and pick out the hypocrisy. It doesn't make sense to them. Immoral behavior by those who claim to be Christians actually gives Christianity a bad name. A bad name amongst unbelievers. It doesn't bring honor to God. It's not helping the cause of Christ. And so the obvious application is live a holy life. Don't be a hypocrite like Jesus accused the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Don't be a hypocrite. Be who you should be, who you really are, inwardly as well as outwardly. So how do you spot a false teacher? Number eight, well, they're interested only in personal gain. That's the real motive. That is the real motive, because verse 3 says, in their greed, they're greedy. That's the real motive. The primary motivation that drives the false teacher is their pocketbook, their bank account, their love of money, the Bible says. And how do you know this? Well, it's that word greed. Greed means an uncontrolled, covetous desire for money and wealth. And so greed involves going after selfish gain, stepping on people if you have to in the process, ripping poor people off. Extortion, by the way, is inherent in the meaning of the word greed. And so these false teachers are interested in making their religion a money-making enterprise. And there are some false teachers with multi-million dollar money-making enterprises. I'll tell you about some of them in a moment. So, please understand, for them, they're greedy, Peter says. Religion just is something to be commercialized. They're not doing it because they love Jesus. 
Peter's already said they denied the master. So that's not why they're doing it. It's because of their greed. And I found an online magazine by the name of Ettenside, who uh, the impression I got is they're not biased in, 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 in regards to this. They're, they're trying to be neutral. But they said that the richest pastors in the world, they, they gave a list of, I think they had a list of 15. So I'm just giving you a few of them. And it's interesting, as you look at this, I'm going to start with number 10. All right, Number 10 is Joyce Meyer. Does that surprise you? Now, her net worth in U.S. dollars is $25 million, As this, this article was written well, just a few days ago. She's an, an author, motivational speaker, TV preacher, uh, very well known in some circles. By the way, a lot of these, uh, including Joyce Meyer, you'll notice they're, they're, they're often associated with the Word of Faith movement, the prosperity gospel. Uh, most of them are Pentecostals. So, very, very greedy people. Not ashamed of it. Some of them have been in trouble with the law, in fact. And coming in at number seven is Creflo Dollar. The name, I'm sure that's not his real name. That ought to give it away. But his, his net worth is 27 million. He's the publisher of Change Magazine, an international publication has over 100,000 subscribers, and he also is involved in what is called the Max, which is a newsletter for ministers and ministry leaders. Uh, he's He's well known for his controversial teachings of the prosperity gospel, or prosperity theology. He's been criticized for his lavish lifestyle. Uh, For example, he owns two Rolls Royces, he owns a private jet, and he owns two multi-million dollar mansions. And he's unashamed. He boasts about his greed. Coming in at number six, probably the most well-known pastor in the United States, Joel Osteen. Net worth, $40 million. He's an author, televangelist, pastor of Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. His TV broadcast is seen in over 100 countries. He spreads his false teaching on the airwaves. Anyway, moving on. Number five, Benny Hinn. Net worth, $42 million. Televangelist, and he's, of course, well-known for his miracle crusades. And I thought it was very funny that he called Joel Austin a false teacher. Hmm, that's the pot calling the kettle black, isn't it? Number four is Pat Robertson, net worth of one hundred million. He's the guy. He's a uh, the guy who started the Christian Broadcasting Network, which is seen in over one hundred and eighty countries. Whew. Wow, it's unbelievable the influence. The as Peter says, many will follow their sensuality. Coming in at number two, T.D. Jakes. T.D. stands for Thomas Dexter. Net worth is $150 million. Author and, and the bishop or chief pastor of the Potter's House, which is a non-denominational American megachurch with 30,000 members located in Dallas, Texas. By the way, it was interesting. You read about the history of all these men and women, many of them, uh, you know, were a part of an evangelical church at one point. 
And then coming in at number one, I was, I was surprised to see this, Kenneth Copeland. I don't know really anything about him, but net worth is $760 million. He's considered a billionaire. Leads a TV show and network. It's just massive, just giant, the, the following. He's involved with this Word of Faith branch of Pentecostalism. Makes me sad. The greed of these people, Peter talks about. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So you say, well, how do they get so wealthy? Well, Peter just told you right there. You look at verse uh, that, that next part in verse 3. How do they get so wealthy? They exploit people with false words. That's point number 9. Exploit means to traffic in, to realize gain from. They're realizing gain from their words, from their teachings, from their books. Such men want to get rich from the people to whom they're supposed to be serving, but although they claim to serve others, they're only interested in serving themselves, using their false words to enrich their wallets and their bank accounts. And by the way, it's interesting if you if you just note the word false in your text. That little word false is uh, a word in the Greek from which we... It, it, the Greek is plastos. We get the English word plastic is derived from that word false. Plastic originally had the connotation of something that was completely... Sorry, something that was not completely authentic. You think about it, plastic items often look as as if they're manufactured from another material, another substance. So plastic, at first glance, can deceive people. For example, how many of you really want to admit the truth? Have you ever been deceived by plastic fruit? You ever walked into somebody's house and, you know, they got the plastic fruit sitting in the bowl and you take it and... Anybody ever taken a bite out of it? Oh, good. You haven't been deceived by plastic. Remember, plastic means false. That's the word that's used here. So, those who have have been deceived by what is fake. So, in a similar way, false teachers, they're dealing in phony doctrine. Their theology is not really based on biblical truth, but that they're only, it's only molded by false reasoning. They want it to appear, gen, to, to appear genuine, but it's plastic. It's false. False teaching's not the real thing. It's plastic. So watch out for their false words. Warren Wearsby said this, quote, The false teachers use our vocabulary, but they do not use our dictionary. They talk about salvation, inspiration, and the great words of the Christian faith, but they do not mean what we mean. Immature and untaught believers hear these preachers or read their books and think that these men are sound in the faith, but they are not. End quote. Watch out for their plastic words. <laughs> their disingenuous words, because they're going to exploit you with their words. So my friends, Satan is a liar. Bible calls him the father of lies, and his therefore his ministers are liars. And Satan doesn't come to you, you know, like like the pictures, right? He doesn't have the horns and the red suit and the tail and the pitchfork. That's not how he comes. The Bible says he comes as an angel of light. And so do his ministers. These liars come dressed as 
as light. They use the Bible to deceive. They follow the same pattern that Satan has used from the beginning. Read Genesis 3. Have you ever noticed that pattern that, that, that he uses in Genesis 3? What did, what did Satan do to Eve when he deceived Eve? First he says, he questions God's word, right? He says, did God actually say? That's questioning God's word. Then he goes just, just flat out denies God's word when, when Satan says, you will not surely die. And then the third thing that Satan did, does to Eve is, he substituted his own lie because he says, you will be like God. Do we fall for the same old lies? I mean, it's, Satan hasn't changed his tactic. It's the same old pattern he's used from the beginning in Genesis 3. Well, you might be looking at uh, the, the descriptions of here of how do you spot a false teacher, and you think, well, that, to you, some of you might be obvious, But at this point, you might be wondering, are they going to get away with it? Well, Peter, the last thing he says here in verse 3 is they will be condemned. They will be condemned. In other words, they're not going to get away with it. Now, when is this going to happen? Well, you look at verse 3. It says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now, he's going to spend verses 4 to 10 elaborating on that. We'll look at that next time. But, but when is this going to happen? When's the condemnation going to happen? Well, false teachers are going to face an eternal judgment. They're, they're going to be held accountable for their plastic words. <laughs> and their sentence, notice God says it was decreed by God himself from long ago. And that phrase, long ago, from long ago, means... It's just talking about from a long time ago. God knew they were, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? God knew they were going to do this. He's permitting it to happen. And, and he says, this is the judgment for people who do this. In other words, God's already condemned those who, who corrupt the truth. By the way, the phrase, is not idle, strengthens the reality of God's vengeance on the false teachers. You say, why? Well, God's sentence against every line teacher is actively accumulating wrath, like a, like a snowball accumulating snow, until eventually they're, they're going to perish in hell. Eventually they'll end up in a lake of fire. But what does verse 3 mean there when it says their destruction is not asleep? Well, Peter is personifying their damnation. Peter's personifying their condemnation. It's kind of like a, an executioner whose job is to execute someone, to, to, to take someone's life. He's not supposed to go to sleep. The executioner needs to stay awake to, to protect this person whom he's supposed to end the life of. He needs to be ready to administer God's just sentence on those who falsely teach His Word. God is the executioner. He's awake. He doesn't need to sleep. And so that's why the destruction is not asleep. It's because of the one who's going to administer the execution. So he's, he is both judge, jury, and executioner in this situation. Well, my friends, the history of Christ's church, sadly, is inseparable from Satan's attempts to destroy the church. 
<laughs> you read church history. Uh, we've, we've done, as I've been studying church history, you read a lot about these heretics, like Arius and Pelagius, and, and the list just goes on and on and on. It's, it's difficult to read this stuff. Well, there's, there's difficult challenges that, of course, are going to arise from outside the church. But the most dangerous have always been from within. Jesus said that as well, didn't he? When he said, watch out for the weeds among the wheat, the tares. Hard to determine the tares from the wheat. Jesus says, I'll, I'll sort them out in the end. Leave it to me. It's, it's really hard to tell. But from within arise false teachers, these peddlers of error who go around masking, masquerading as teachers of the truth. False teachers take on many forms. They might come across as a pastor, an author, a blogger, somebody on the airwaves, on the radio, or whatever. So they, they take on many forms. So let me, I want to give you, uh, serve you, I hope, by not looking at Peter itself, himself here, but I want to give you seven of these false teachers you're going to find who are, who are out there. They're carrying on their destructive work in the church today. They still exist. And uh, I, I got these, these names from a guy by the name of Tim Challies. Uh, he's labeled them kind of like what the Bible says. So here we go. There's, there's seven of them to watch out for. Number one, of course, Peter mentions the heretic. He, Peter calls them destructive heretics in verse one there. And they're probably the most prominent and, and perhaps the most dangerous of all false teachers. That's why Peter's naming him and shaming him here. And the heretic is somebody who teaches what contradicts an essential teaching of the Christian faith. Right? I'll just leave it at that. If you're not sure what that is, come talk to me later. Number two out of these false teachers is the charlatan. The charlatan is a person who uses Christianity as a means of personal enrichment. And Paul talked to Timothy about uh, these charlatans, and he, he said, watch out, be on guard against them. He says in chapter 6, 1 Timothy, verse 3, he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So, the charlatan, what is he doing? They're, they're using their leadership position uh, to benefit from that, gaining from other people's money so they become wealthy. The third out of these seven false prophets to watch out for is the prophet. The false prophet, he claims to be gifted by God. They often claim to speak new revelation, fresh revelation. Revelation that's coming from outside of Scripture. Watch out for these guys and these women who do that. In reality, by the way, they're actually empowered by Satan for the purpose of disrupting Christ's church. John, by the way, the Apostle John, offered a very urgent warning about these false prophets. First John 4, verse 1, he said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Scripture gives a clear 
clear warning about these people. If their prophecies don't come true, they deserve to die. They deserve to die. That's what Jesus said to do with the, or sorry, the Bible says to do with the false prophets. By the way, that's not what you should do to them today. But the Old Testament said that's what they should, Israel should have done. And so, the Apostle John says Christians must test the spirits. What are you trying to do there? You're, you're trying to determine if, if what they say is actually originating with the Holy Spirit, or is it, a, is it coming from somewhere else? I mean, you got guys like Joseph Smith who starts the Mormonism religion. You know, he claims to write a Bible that was given to him by an angel, an angel by the name of Moroni. Well, Paul said in Galatians 1, if an angel comes to you with a different gospel, they're to be anathema, they're to be accursed. Don't listen to them. Probably a demon. <laughs> Don't listen to the demons. Sadly, though, today the airwaves are full of people claiming to speak in the name of God. They claim to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Personal prophecies are just a phone call away. You, you can call them, and they'll give you one. Some of the, the, the best well-known authors today, one of them is Sarah Young. She wrote a book called Jesus Calling. Boldly claims that her book contains the very words of Jesus. She claims this is fresh revelation from God. She's denied the sufficiency of Scripture. She's a false teacher. Well, the prophets continue to speak today and continue to lead people astray. And we need to be vigilant. Number four is the abuser. The abuser uses his position of leadership to take advantage of other people. Usually they take advantage through their, their, uh, they're, they're trying to feed their, their sexual lusts. Uh, though sometimes they desire power. It's not necessarily a, a lust for sex. Sometimes it's a lust for power. Jude was aware of the abuser. In Jude 4, he said, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So what is he doing? What is she doing? Well, the abuser's claiming to, to be a true shepherd, tend the souls of the sheep, but his only interest is just in using people's bodies. They don't actually care about the person. They use them. So the Bible talks about how they work their way into women's lives and sometimes even into their beds. And so he's, he, he's not pursuing illicit, when he's not pursuing illicit sexual pleasure, sometimes they're, they're domineering trying to gain power, abusing people in the process on, on their path to, to, to prosperity and prominence. He does this in the name of ministry, in the name of the Holy Spirit, with the claim of God's anointing on their life, and they use others to feed their lust. Number five of the list of false teachers is the divider. The divider uses false doctrine to disrupt or destroy a church. Again, Jude, Jude warns against the divider in verses 18 and 19. He says, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. In the, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. 
So notice Jude says, you can't claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed of the Holy Spirit, and cause divisions. They don't go together. So the false teacher's bringing strife, not love. He's generating factions, not unity. He, he, he's bringing discord and not harmony. That's what he's doing. He's not filled with the Spirit, because if you're filled with the Spirit, the evidence is love, joy, peace. Number six out of the list of false teachers is the tickler. Coming from 2 Timothy 4. So this tickler, he doesn't care what God wants. He doesn't care what what God wants. He's a man pleaser. He's not a God pleaser. Paul thought of this person as an ear tickler. The Apostle Paul thought of him that way. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate from themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So the tickler craves popularity. He wants the praise of men, praise from the world. You know, give, give me attention. I love it. <laughs> you know, that's the way they are. And so to maintain the, the, the followers' respect, oh, they might preach the Bible. Often they do. But they're going to preach the so-called acceptable parts of the Bible. They'll they'll tell you what you want to hear. They'll tell you how to be wealthy, how to be prosperous. They'll tell you how to be happy, how to be blessed. They'll talk about God's love, but they're not going to talk about God's wrath. You see that? We're going to not. (laughs) So they'll, they'll pick and choose the parts they like. They speak a lot about happiness, but little of sin, much of heaven, but I don't want to talk about hell. Give them what they want to hear. That's why they're called ticklers. Tickle the ears. Feels good. But lacking in truth. And the last one is the speculator. Out of the list of false teachers is a speculator. Now this person's obsessed with novelty. You know, they, they love originality. They love to speculate. They're involved in speculation. Well, Paul talks about that again when he was talking to Timothy. Hey, he said, protect the church against different doctrine. Doctrine is settled. <laughs> so anybody claims to come up with something new, it's probably heresy. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, Remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, notice this, which promote speculations. So that's why they're called speculators. They're promoting speculations because they're, they, they're involved with, with this novelty and originality, trying to come up with different doctrines. So they toss aside most of the Bible's content and, and the, the weight of the Bible's emphasis and they try to, they, they end up focusing on a lot of trivial things, really. They, they grow weary of the old truths of Scripture, the fundamentals of the faith, and they pursue originality. That's a speculator. So that's why I'm saying they come in all shapes, sizes, and forms. Uh, it, it's not obvious a lot of times, but those are the kind of false teachers to watch out for. Now, my friends, you need to be aware that Satan's greatest ambassadors are not the politicians. <laughs> We love to attack politicians. We get grumpy with politicians all the time, don't we? 
But usually Satan's greatest ambassador is a pastor. His priests don't peddle a different religion, but a deadly perversion of the true one. They take what's true and corrupt it. Satan can't create anything. His soldiers don't usually go for a full-out frontal attack. That's usually suicide, right? <laughs> like our own New Zealand soldiers at Gallipoli. It's just stupid. You don't run out of the trenches and charge against a whole row of machine guns. You're going to get slaughtered. So what Satan does is he sends out a, a mob of secret agents. <laughs> you know, like, like those guys who are trying to dig tunnels underneath the trenches. We'll just blow them up. Don't even know they're there until they're gone, right? That's that's often Satan's tactics. We use secret agents. So what do we need to do? We need to always remain vigilant. Be discerning. Lead the brain turned on. (laughs) Be discerning about the enemy's methods. Be discerning about the enemy's teachings. That's what God wants us to do with this text. The problem is, if we don't, you're going to fall prey to these false teachers. You're going to fall prey. The wolf is going to get you. May God protect us from these ravenous wolves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the clear teaching for Peter here. We're thankful for so many warnings we've seen. It's all throughout Scripture. You obviously care greatly about your flock being destroyed by false teachers. So may we know, remain vigilant, remain awake, watch out, be discerning for the enemy's methods and teachings. May we know the enemy and know him well and spot him from a long ways away. May we protect each other, help each other. Uh, if we ever start to get a little too close to the, to the wolf in sheep's clothing, may we be able to help each other out. May we know the truth. May the truth set us free. May we know Christ so that we would never deny Him in any shape or form. May He rule supreme in our lives so that His Word reigns supreme in our faith and our practice. Oh, May we know the truth here. So may we also be doers of the Word, not just hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.